Leading a beauty business in today's ever-changing economic backdrop takes a multitude of skills along with guts, instinct and energy. In the Industry of Beauty's In Conversation podcast, we talk to the people who are in possession of all of those qualities and more, including those who have set up their own businesses or those who have risen to the top of beauty businesses, large and small. We delve into the background of these leaders' careers, find out what drove them to success, what continues to motivate them, and what their ambitions are for the future. We also get their take on how they see the industry developing, along with their advice for those wishing to follow in their beauty footsteps. Dr. Nina Naidu is a New York-based plastic surgeon and the founder of Anoka. Founded in 2008, Anoka is a natural skincare brand born from the desire that environmental ingredients should achieve clinical results. The business recently launched in the UK for the first time, bringing its range of products to consumers via its own website. Nina speaks to Sophie Smith, Senior News and Features Writer at the Industry.Beauty, about the inspiration behind Anoka, why the brand manufactures in small batches, its upcoming men's range, her key learnings since starting the business, and her ambitions for the future of the brand. Hey Nina, welcome to the Industry.Beauty podcast. How are you today? I'm doing well, thank you. So good to hear. Where is it you're you're talking from? I'm in New York City. Oh, amazing. So I've really been looking forward to speaking with you today, all about your career and your lovely business, Anoka. So before we sort of get to talk about the business itself, I'd love to find out a little bit about what you were doing before. So could you just tell me about your career background? Um, Yes, I have been a surgeon since 1997, and I am still actively practicing as a plastic surgeon in New York City. My surgical practice is primarily focused on aesthetic surgery of the breast and body, and all of my facial work is focused on skincare. Could you first tell me when you launched Anoka and also what inspired you to launch the brand? Anoka was launched in 2008. Um, Before that, between 2004 and 2005, I began to receive a number of requests from my surgical patients for skincare without medical-grade ingredients. And there were really two groups of patients who were specifically making these requests. The first were younger women who were pregnant, trying to become pregnant, or breastfeeding, and they couldn't put skincare with potentially harmful ingredients on their skin. And then there was a second group of older women in their 50s and 60s whose skin had become very sensitive over the course of their lifetimes. So at that time, I wasn't able to really find a skincare line that fully met all of these needs without using medical grade ingredients. And I launched Anoka in 2008 with the ultimate goal of using active botanicals to achieve clinical grade results. Yeah. So what was it that you sort of took from your previous experience and sort of channeled into this new brand? Could you tell me a little bit about that? Well, as a physician, I'm trained to be able to read the scientific literature, and this has been incredibly helpful in sorting fact from fiction when it comes to skincare and all of the ingredients that we promote. So all of our ingredients and claims are backed by data, and I do all the research on that. Nothing is included simply because it's a trending or hot ingredient. And my medical background was also very helpful in learning how to formulate, and I now formulate all of the products myself. So do you find that your customer, so the response to it sort of like this sort of research back brand? Is that something that they are interested in and something that pulls them in? It's interesting because it depends upon the background of the consumer. For the younger consumer in the United States, 
that's not as much of a draw for the older consumer in the United States is a huge draw and also my background as a plastic surgeon. I will say that in the UK, we've launched here just very recently, but the background, the data behind the brand has been much, much more interesting to see here in the UK because there's more of a response to it here. Obviously, you said that you're still a working plastic surgeon as well as a business owner. How do you find sort of managing both? Is there one that gets a little bit more of your attention or how does that work? It's incredibly challenging. I I don't know that I would recommend it to anyone else. And had I known how difficult it would be, I might have done it differently. That being said, I don't have any regrets about it. But um, the surgical practice necessarily takes up the vast majority of my time. That takes up about 90% of my time. There's really no such thing as being a part-time surgeon. Um, The skincare, a lot of that is done on dedicated days of the week. I do a tremendous amount of work on the evenings and on the weekends. So it is really a bit of a juggle. I also have a teenage son and he's always my first priority. So it's just a question of sorting out your priorities and doing what's most important first. Absolutely. That sounds lovely. So what have you got a team sort of supporting you behind uh, Anoka as well? Yeah, I, the team is quite small. Um, my in-house team is really my medical staff. I've found that they are the best people to help me with the brand. Um, my patient coordinator actually has a lot of background in working with other companies. My front desk coordinator has a tremendous amount of experience in e-commerce and logistics. She's quite good at that. So they've been really, really helpful with working with me on the brand. Outside of that, I work with a tremendous number of freelancers, which has been really helpful because um, I want to use the best help that I can possibly afford. And that help is not always in New York City. So my copywriter and my brand designer are both based in Australia. They've been amazing. Um, I'm working with the PR team based in London, and we just look for the best help wherever we can find it. Could you first tell me what was the sort of starting point for the brand? So what you launched with and then sort of how this has developed sort of over the years? So we developed the brand initially with a core set of products for basic care of the face. And this was a really simple cleanser, toner, and moisturizer. And then from there, we've added on with a night cream, a mask, an oil cleanser, facial oil, and a lip butter. We added Anoka Body in 2019, and we currently have two products in that range. We're actively working on an exfoliating scrub for the face as well as an eye cream. And our newer products are more clinical. They're meant to be re- placements to traditional medical grade products. So for example, the Bakuchiol and pomegranate facial oil is a true retinol alternative. And our most recent launch, the Rosehip Replenishing Balm, is a scar cream that was developed for my surgical patients who were just increasingly reacting to the medical grade product I had been supplying to them after surgery. And this is by far the most popular product in my medical practice right now. So do you you recommend your products then to your patients? Is it something that they always sort of take on board or is it sort of a matter of choice? It's a matter of choice. The only thing that I really put into their hands and say, you have to use this is the scar balm um, because I feel very strongly that after seeing so many reactions to medical grade scar creams, I just want something very gentle on their surgical incisions. Everything else, we just supply them with a lot of samples and a number of patients do come back and purchase the full size products. Obviously, we want to give them a range of options and very often patients will incorporate one or two of the products into their regular routines. Yeah. So what would you say sort of the most popular that patients are sort of getting the most? 
Aside from the Scar Balm, I would say it's the Oatmeal Cleansing Milk. Um, it's a really, really simple, very gentle cleanser that's always been one of our best sellers. And the next bestseller is the Jasmine Serum, which is a very light moisturizer that can be used either alone or layered underneath a heavier cream. Lovely. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about ingredients now. So I, I believe, it, is it natural ingredients that you use? Yep, we are using natural ingredients. And I chose those because those were just the gentlest and safest ingredients I could find when I first started my, doing my research almost 20 years ago. Not all natural ingredients are safe, however, but there are a lot of really exciting active botanicals with really robust data on safety and efficacy. We currently source our ingredients from countries including Japan, Chile, India, the United States, the UK, France and Italy, to name a few. I learn about new ingredients by just reading as much as I possibly can from multiple industry and scientific sources. And then when I find a really exciting ingredient, I dive deep into the scientific literature for that ingredient. And every ingredient just has to meet two criteria. It has to be safe and it has to work. We'll continue our In Conversation podcast after this short ad break. Hi, I'm Tom Shearsmith, news editor at the Industry of Beauty, and I'm here to remind you that every day we dedicate ourselves to producing daily news, features, and insights to keep our readers up to date and ahead of the curve of events changing the UK beauty market, such as breaking stories, interviews, and analysis. Remember to check in every day to stay up to date. All of our content is free to view, and why not sign up for our free daily update newsletter? So say you've had the idea, you want a gentle cleansing balm, how long does it take? Is it quite a long process with all the research? It, it can be. It really depends on the um, specific product and what I'm trying to achieve. With the oils, um, that's a lot easier because you can put some together and test them rather quickly. With the water-based products, it takes a bit longer uh, because we have to look at the pH, we have to look at the stability. So that's a bit of a longer process. Um, I would say actually our oatmeal cleansing milk, even though it's quite a simple product, it's one of the more complex formulations and it's actually the more most complex manufacturing one that we do that takes quite a bit of time. But in general, when I start with an ingredient, if I have the idea, it can usually take me about a year from start to finish. If I'm working really, really quickly, I can get everything done in six months. But I would say on average, it takes about a year from initial conception to final launch of the product on the shelf. Yeah, no, that's a good amount of time. So do these sort of formulations or products ever sort of develop over time or are they sort of, they launch as they are and sort of stay that way? Um, some of them do develop over time. Um, certainly I've gone back and pulled a few products that I felt weren't good enough or reformulated them if I felt I could do better. So for example, to go back to the oatmeal cleansing milk, that was one of the very first products we launched with back in 2008 but I ran into an issue after a period of time where it just seemed to be a little bit too thick. It didn't feel as stable to me. So I did a complete reformulation of that product back in uh, 2020. And that was a really, really complex formulation for me to do because I pulled out a new emulsifier. And just for your listeners, an emulsifier is an ingredient that brings your water and your oil elements together. So that was um, a really, really challenging formulation for me to do. And I found a really lovely emulsifier that mimics the skin structure with the oil and the water-based lamellar structure. So it's a really, really smooth and very, very gentle cleanser. 
but yes, I'm always looking at them. I'm always thinking, how can we make this better? Some we haven't really touched at all. For example, the Lotus Flower and Rosewater Toner, which is my personal favorite product. Again, a really simple product. We've essentially not touched that at all. I think the only thing I did was make the uh, preservative a little bit cleaner. And that was several years ago. But aside from that, we haven't touched that formula at all because that has stand stands very well on its own. Interesting. Yeah, that makes complete sense. So if we talk a little bit about manufacture now, so I know you said earlier that you have a lot of different teams and people spread across sort of the world, basically. Is the manufacture of the product sort of in the US or is it sort of more widespread like the teams? So we brought all manufacturing back in-house in 2021, and we currently have our own research and manufacturing facility based here in Soho in New York City. The quality of the ingredients is really critical to producing the best possible product, and the only way to have complete control over your ingredients is to manufacture yourself. So we do manufacture in small batches so that we can use the freshest ingredients, and in this way we also minimize any excess waste. There is, in my mind, simply no comparison between a mass manufactured product and one that's been made by hand in small quantities. Because it's done in sort of small batches, then do you have, ever have issues with stock or is that not a, is that not an issue? I would say that we constantly have issues with stock. <laughs> and that is, that's really, frankly, one of the trade-offs. Uh, that was something that used to stress me out for some time. And then I said, you know what, this is going to be one of the trade-offs of doing small batches and really having high quality. And it's not unusual for a luxury line to run out of stock and to simply say to their customers, all right, we're going to have a small waiting period. And for us, a small waiting period is usually no more than a month. And it's just a a question of manufacturing the product and really getting in. We occasionally will run into supply issues, as I think every single brand has had issues since 2020. But for the most part, it's a question of just time and of the physical labor involved. So good things take time. If there was more demand for a certain product, would you slightly increase the batch size? Does that make sense? It it does make sense, yes. Um, Again, we have a small facility here in Soho, so there's an upper limit to the batch size that we can do. But certainly we have done that. The oatmeal cleansing milk, since it's one of our best sellers, we have increased our batch size over time. So uh, the number of kilograms we're doing at a time increases, but that also means that you have to change your equipment a bit. So it's a question, it's really a fine line. It's a question of bringing in large enough equipment. Do you have the space for it? Do you have the manpower to run it versus doing multiple smaller batches? It's it's always a push play uh, between the two of them. You just have to figure out what works. But certainly, we are our batch size is trending up over time, but not to the point where we find that quality goes down. We are doing more batches for sure. Um, there's no question about that. And I still have good ties to the manufacturers I worked with in the past. I so I have that in the back of my head that I could always go back to them. But I know that there will be a little bit of a decrease in quality if I do that, and I'm just not willing to make that sacrifice. What some big brands have done, and I think one very big brand in the UK did this, was they got to a point where they just bought out a manufacturing facility so that they had everything they needed and they had complete control over it. That's certainly a long, long long-term goal for us, that we can just buy out a facility so that we've got the best of both worlds. Absolutely. I'd like to go back a little bit now to talking about the product again, because I had a little bit of a scan of your Instagram recently, and I've seen that the brand is releasing sort of a men's range. 
I'd love to find out a bit of, well, basically what you can tell me. I don't know how secretive it is at the moment, <laughs> um, but could you just tell me a little bit about this new range? Yes. So we are launching Anoka Man in June of this year. And a few years ago, we noticed that a small number of men were beginning to buy the products. And based upon the reviews, it was evident that they were purchasing the products for themselves, not as a gift for another woman. And the two most popular products with men are our oatmeal cleansing milk and our jasmine serum, surprisingly. So while these are absolutely safe for use on male skin, men do have special needs for their skincare based on their elevated testosterone, which in turn leads to increased sebum production and generally oilier skin. It's also been estimated that the average man shaves 16,000 times over the course of his lifetime. And so that creates an additional predisposition to sensitive skin. It's just, it's an astounding number when you read that. So I wanted to create something especially tailored for men's skin. The line's also really helpful for people with oilier skin, such as teenagers going through puberty or perimenopausal women who are dealing with hormonal breakouts. And I have my own young teenage man at home. So it's been quite rewarding to see his skin respond to the products. So so how long has this been in sort of progress for like when did you first sort of have the idea that you wanted to sort of branch out into the men's category and sort of how long has it taken to sort of develop and create? I first started thinking about it back in 2019. That was when I just started to really slowly think about it. And during this period of time, we certainly have seen an increase in male grooming. We've seen an increase in men's skincare lines, which is really nice. And a lot of them are tailored specifically towards men, which I really like. Although unisex skincare brands are a bit of a trend right now. I don't think they really do justice to the differences between our skin types and how much we go through as a result of our hormonal differences. So it's been one of those things I've been slowly working on, slowly developing the formulas, um, testing them out on volunteers and getting feedback since I obviously don't have male skin. Um, So it, it has taken a bit of time, but it's been a lot of fun in the process. No, it sounds exciting. So you said it's coming out in June. Will it be available in the UK as well? It's going to be available globally. Um, We don't yet have a retailer in the UK, but we are registered in the UK. Yeah, well, that takes me swiftly on to my next question to find out sort of obviously more about where it's available in the UK. So is it available only by its own website currently? Currently in the UK, it's website only. Yes, we're not currently stocked in any retailers and we're actively looking for the right retail partner. You may have heard this from other brands. Retail is a bit like a marriage, so you have to spend the time to making sure that you have a really good fit. Would you prefer to be in sort of a bigger retailer or sort of more selective retailing? For, yeah, for us at this stage, since we're small, uh, a smaller retailer is easier for us to work with. We love the big retailers. We absolutely adore them. But we also realize that at this point, we have limited resources. And so again, since it's really a, a partnership between the two, we understand that we wouldn't really have all the resources for a huge retailer. A small retailer, a niche retailer would be a perfect fit. Yep. So how does the brand perform in the UK, uh, even though it's just by its website at the moment? Yeah, we just launched in January, so it's still quite early, but we have had um, quite a few visits from the UK on our website. It's been really nice to see that. And we've also had really lovely feedback um, from customers in the UK. And the UK is just quite a different skincare market from that in the United States. So that's been as I mentioned, really fascinating to see how much more of an emphasis there is on data 
and the science behind the brand, as opposed to here in the U.S. Um, feedback's always helpful, and we've definitely made changes in the past or launched new products in response to what our customers tell us. So we haven't had too much we haven't had any negative feedback from our UK customers, but certainly we're always willing to hear what they're interested in, what they'd like to see. So would that have influence in sort of the product then? So if there was sort of a pro- existing product and you had quite a lot of feedback, would you consider making changes? Um, we would consider it depending on what the feedback is. So one um, product where we definitely had a lot of feedback here in the United States was our oatmeal cleansing milk. And it wasn't the product itself. It was the packaging because for many years we had it in a PET or a plastic bottle. And a lot of customers said, you know, all of your other bottles are glass. When is this one going to get moved over? And um, that did require doing a lot of work with the packaging. I'm really finding a pump that fit the bottle correctly and that could manage the viscosity of the product. So we did finally make that change in the past, I think, year, year and a half, we moved over to a more sustainable glass bottle. We did have to increase the price just a bit to accommodate that. And our customers were absolutely fine with that. And they've been very happy with the new glass bottle. That sounds amazing. I'd now love to reflect a bit on sort of the business journey since launching. Could you just tell me sort of how you feel about the brand's progression over the years? I would say that our progress has definitely been slow, but steady. We launched in 2008 and my son was born in 2009. So between growing my surgical practice and raising my child, Anoka really had to grow organically. And during this period of time, I certainly matured both as a surgeon and a mother, and I was able to bring this world experience back to Anoka in 2018, when I did a complete rebrand of the line and learned how to formulate my own products. And this has definitely allowed me to position Anoka as a luxury skincare brand. So it's even though it's been slow, it's been really helpful, I think, to the overall positioning of the brand. What do you think your sort of key earnings have been over the years as well? Is there anything that sticks out? I've learned a lot in this journey, and I'm still learning a lot. Um, first, I think it's really critical to have clarity on your position in the market. So ask yourself, where do you see your products being sold? Or is it more of a Walmart product or a Bergdorf Goodman product? Or if we translate this to the UK, do you have more of a Boots product or a Harrods product? And we sometimes feel that we can be all things to all people, but the reality is that you have to decide where your brand sits. And then once you do that, many, many things will fall into place after that. So once I really acknowledge that this is truly an, a luxury line, a lot of things made more sense to me and my marketing could be much more focused after that. Um, second, it's okay to start small and grow slowly. We're all very taken by brands that go viral overnight and sell out within five minutes. It's very, very exciting and sexy. But the reality is that for a small luxury brand, slow and steady is a really, really good fit. And for us, it's allowed to perfect our offering in a more controlled fashion. And finally, I would say I've really learned to trust my gut instinct in all things. Amazing. Well, I look very, I very much look forward to seeing how Anoka continues to grow and develop, especially here in the UK. I'd just like to thank you so much for your time today and speaking to me all about your wonderful brand and your career. So thank you so much. Thank you. If this beauty leader's story inspired you, why not head over to our website at www.theindustry.beauty. Or find us on your favorite podcast platform where you can hear from many more leading industry figures. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review or rating. If you would like to suggest names that you would like to hear on the podcast, feel free to drop us a line at press at the industry.beauty.
And remember to visit www.theindustry.beauty for your daily beauty fix and to sign up for our free daily update newsletter.